As you find your seats, if you'll turn with me in your Bibles to Genesis chapter 15, as we continue our series, Far As the Curse is Found. But before we begin, it's a special time of year as we remember of the great privilege we have to worship. The great privilege. We could come here with freedom, no fear that some government authority is going to come in here and tell us to stop. And really it's for the men and women that have represented us and shed blood so that we can have this freedom. It's Veterans Weekend. Uh, any veterans here? Uh, let's just say uh, thank you. Thanks for serving. Thank you for... Thank you for the sacrifice. All right, moms, I have a question for you. Um, I want you to think, for those of you that God has allowed the blessing of having given birth, did you give birth in the years before ultrasound or after ultrasound? Now, don't raise your hand because it'll be pretty much delineated by age. We could probably look around and figure it out. But it's amazing that not too long ago, we didn't know a whole lot about the babies that were going to be born in this world. I mean, most of us as adults, our parents didn't know. Little boy or girl, you can ask him, hey, what was my name going to be if I were a girl? What was it going to be like? Were you ready? Um, we didn't know. We didn't know if uh, the children, before we had the ability as we do now to look into the womb and tell so much, we couldn't tell boy or girl. We couldn't tell healthy unhealthy. There's so many amazing things that now we can see and maybe even respond to in the womb. But before that technology came, uh, friends of my wife's family uh, were expecting a child, a Christian family, a Christian girl, excited, excited about the blessing that God had for her, excited about the lifelong dream coming true of having a child and giving birth. And yet, when the child arrived, it wasn't a typical child. A special needs child was given to them. A child with Down syndrome. And there was a nurse there, a nurse that, that knew that she was a Christian that was watching. Watching to see her response. What would she do with this baby? How would she respond? Matter of fact, when she knew that this young mom was about ready to call back to the news of mom and dad and say, yes, it's a boy, but we have additional news for you. The nurse hung around just to see, just to hear, just to witness. What is she going to say? How is she going to tell the news to her parents? The young girl called and says, mom and dad, God has blessed us with a Down syndrome baby. And just to be able to say that God has blessed us, the reality of Christ became present in that room. And that nurse went on to embrace Christ as Savior. Because she would say, Jesus must be real. For someone to look at this child and say, it is a blessing from God. We're looking into Abraham's life, or Abram's life, a man that was commanded to leave his home, his family, everything that he knew, and to pursue a promised land. And I can't help but 
Think about the conversation that Abram had with his father before he left. Maybe a similar relationship or a conversation that some of us had with our fathers as we left home. But I would imagine Abram would go to his dad and say, Dad, I believe God is calling me. I'm convinced that God is calling me to leave home. As a matter of fact, I'm packed and I'm out the door. God is promising me a new home. God calls it a land, uh, something he mentioned about flowing with milk and honey. And God says that he's going to bless me, Dad. God says he's going to bless me so much that he's going to give me a great family. I, I think he actually said that it'd be a nation, that my family will be a nation. So I'm going to take my barren wife, Sarai, with me. And God says that he's going to make my name great. And dad, you're not going to believe this, but apparently my blessing is going to come back to you. Because God has said that by blessing me, he's going to bless all nations through me. And I'm going to be blessed. What would God's promised blessing look like to you if that was told to you? What do you envision? Just take, take, take a moment. Just think, if, if God were to come to you and say, listen, I'm going to bless you so much that the entire world's going to be blessed through you. I'm going to bless you so much that your family will be called a great nation. What does it look like? What do you en- envision? You know, I'm painfully reminded over and over and over again that I see this world through white, American upper middle class eyes. But God is teaching me over and over again, and I really believe he has another lesson for us today, to see blessings from God's perspective, to see blessings through Christ Jesus, his son. Remember when we started this series, I gave you those 3D glasses, and it was really a sign that says, as we go back and we look at God's word, and we look at life, the only way we'll ever be able to make rhyme and reason out of any of it is if we see all of life through the life, death, and resurrection of Christ. And when we do put on Christ, and we do put on those glasses of Christ, and are in Christ, maybe blessings of God have a little bit different meaning than we ever thought. Certainly it's true of Abraham. Turn with me again to, uh, let's look at Genesis 15, and we're going to read through the entire chapter, uh, chapter 15, allude to some others as well. But let us be mindful that we're reading God's inerrant holy word today. Genesis 15 starts off this way. After these things, the word of the Lord came to Abram in a vision. And the question we want to ask ourselves as we begin this reading is what are these things? Because things have happened that make God go back to Abram and repeat what he's already said. God continues to come to Abram because his life doesn't look like his promises that God has given to him. So what are the things that need to be realigned? Well, let's flip back a page and realize that God called Abram to go to the uh, uh, promised land. And what happened when he got there? There was a famine. So the things that include a trip to Egypt... Not only that, you'll get to uh, chapter 13, that's the end of chapter 12, 
you'll see that Abram and his nephew Lot are going to have to separate. They couldn't have all their stuff together in one place anymore. They've kind of outgrown each other. And not that Abram and Lot were arguing and fighting. It was really more of their servants and their families. And so Abram said to Lot, let's just separate. I'll let you pick. Lot looked around, he saw the valley of the Jordan, and he saw that real estate gem that every neighborhood person wanted to get into, Sodom and Gomorrah. He picked that gem. And and God said to Abram, look everywhere, I'm going to give it all to you anyway. And then you realize that this promised land is a pretty hostile land. That Lot, because of some warring gangs uh, known as kings, were trying to fight over the land. And Lot got caught up in their dispute. And all of a sudden, he was taken. All his stuff was taken. And Abram had to go rescue him. And unbelievably, Abram, this man of God, took his family, his servants, and they went against these kings and rescued Lot and all his stuff. And then one other thing that happened, another event that happened, kind of a really unusual event at the end of chapter 14, is we're introduced to a king, Melchizedek, king of Salem. It's a really interesting counter. Read it. It starts in verse 17. Um, Let me encourage you to take a note to go back and look at that. The name Melchizedek means this, king of righteousness, king of Salem. Guess what Salem means? Peace. And this guy out of nowhere with really no genealogy appears and Abram, a man of God, gives him a tithe, gives him a 10% of all that he owns. And guess what? God has appeared in this story. And we see the king of righteousness, the king of peace. We see Jesus, the pre-incarnate Christ, appear in this story. So these are the things that have happened Um, before uh, Abraham, before we move on. So God comes to him in a vision and says, Fear not, Abram. I am your shield. Remember, he's got a lot to fear. Remember what just happened. I mean, there's been raids in his land. There's been famine. I mean, there's a lot to fear. And so God comes to him and says, Fear not, I'm your shield. Your reward shall be great. But Abram said, and here's Abram trying to hang on to God's promises O Lord God, what will you give me? For I continue childless, and the heir of my house is Eliezer of Damascus. And Abram said, Behold, you have given me no offspring, and a member of my household will be my heir. True of the time, he didn't have anyone to pass this on to. He's saying, this is my closest offspring. You're promising me a blessing to my seed, but nothing coming. And behold, the word of the Lord came to him. This man shall not be your heir. Your own son, or from your own loins, shall be your heir. And he brought him outside and said, and here's one of these God promises, brought him outside and says, look toward heaven and number the stars. If you're able to number them. Then he said to him, so shall your offspring be. Don't forget, Abram, about 100 years old. His wife, about 90. No kids. Go look at the stars. And he believed the Lord. And he counted it to him as righteousness. 
And he said to him, I am the Lord who brought you out from Ur of the Chaldeans to give you this land to possess. But he said, O Lord God, how am I to know that I shall possess it? And he said to him, Bring me a heifer three years old, a female goat three years old, a ram three years old, a turtle dove and a young pigeon. And he brought him all of these. And you know what? This is what was happening. This is an ancient Near East treaty. They're cutting a deal. This is what happened when uh, an agreement was made. No instructions are given to Abram what he has to do. He knows he has to divide up these animals to cut this deal. I'll tell you what it means here in a minute. And he brought him over these, and he cut them in half, and he laid each half over against the other. And he did not, uh, and he did not cut the birds in half. And when the birds of prey came down on the carcasses, Adam, uh, Abram drove them away. As the sun was going down, a deep sleep fell on Abram. And behold, dreadful and great darkness fell upon him. Then the Lord said to Abram, Know for certain that your offspring will be sojourners in a land that is not theirs, and will be servants there, and they will be afflicted for four hundred years. But I will bring judgment on the nation that they serve, and afterwards they shall come out with great possessions. Now hold on, hit pause. Remember what I've told you the last several weeks. Who's originally hearing this? It's Moses who's writing this. And what is happening? Now they're connecting the dots. Yeah, we've been in exile for 400 years. And God has brought his justice to the Egyptians. And we are a pretty great nation. And we have plundered them. This promise is being realized. Think of the excitement that they're realizing what was happening, being fulfilled in their own lives. And he says to Abram, As for yourself, you shall go to your father in peace, and you shall be buried in a good old age. And they shall come back here, uh, come back forth in the fourth generations. For the iniquity of the Amorites is not yet completed. And here's a really interesting passage. When the sun had gone down and it was dark, behold, a smoking fire pot and a flaming torch passed between these pieces. On that day, the Lord made a covenant with Abram, saying to your offspring, I will give this land from the river of Egypt to the great river, the river of Euphrates, and the land of all those ites will be yours. An incredible deal. And yet, how in the world can God's promises be realized? I mean, come on. Go out and look up into the stars. I mean, come on. Count the stars, O barren one. Doesn't sometimes God's promises in our reality seem worlds apart? Have you ever read God's word and said, I'll never leave you nor forsake you. I'll never give you more than you can handle. That I'm going to be a blessing to you. And you look in the mirror and say, well, where in the world are they? And having you read God's word and maybe gotten a little angry saying, you're promising a whole lot and you're delivering a little? Am I the only one who feels that way? But oftentimes I read through God's word and man, they are some promises in God's word. But then there's the reality of my life. And sometimes the promises of God and the reality of life seem worlds apart. Is it true for you? I mean, we got to look at the life of Abram and say it was true for him. 
I mean, here he is, nicely and meekly, kind of saying to God, I mean, how are you going to do this? My only heir is, is not really even connected to me. I don't quite get it. You're telling me greatness, and i got mediocrity reigning down here, Lord. Can you imagine the phone call back to his parents? All right, don't think I'm that stupid. I know they didn't have phones. Didn't come back until a few more years. Maybe a letter, but let's just go there. Can you imagine the phone call back to his parents saying, Dad, I'm here at the promised land? Well, tell me about the promised land, Abram. Tell me, son, how is it? That land flowing with milk and honey. What was it like when you first got there? Was it everything you dreamed? Well, Dad, the blessing of the promised land, it was actually inhabitable. I showed up there, and guess what? I had to leave. I had to take Sarah and get out of there because we couldn't find any food. The promised land, this great land that God was going to give us, it was barren. And everybody was on a mass exodus out of town. So you were able to see Egypt then, huh, son? Yeah, I was. Well, how, how did Sarah enjoy the trip? Well, Sarah, I see she got to know the Pharaoh's household pretty good, actually. So you got this blessing, the promised land. You're back now, huh, son? How is it since you've been back? It's pretty nice. Well, Dad, the truth is, it's pretty hostile. There's wars going on. Well, how about Lot? You haven't lost your Lot. I mean, he's your nephew. You're taking good care of him, aren't you? Well, yeah, Dad, I had to uh, go rescue him. But I got him. What about this family, Abram, this family that God has promised you? I mean, he says he's going to make you a great family, a great nation. How is it with your family and that barren wife of yours, Sarai? I mean, scripture, Scripture can't identify her without saying she's barren. And believe me, in this day and age, she thought she was cursed. And she had to walk around with this curse of being known as a scarlet bee of a barren woman. How is it, son, with Sarai? Is she pregnant yet? Any grandchildren on the way? Dad, don't call her Sarai anymore. Call her Sarah. She's barren, but she's going to be a princess of a great nation. See, the blessings of greatness are promised. And yet, we see in verse 2 of 15, mediocrity is raining. I mean, it's raining down hard. I mean, God has just gone out of his way to say, I'm just going to be ridiculously blessing you, Abram. I mean, your life is going to be so blessed. You're going to be a blessing to everybody, Abram. And the promised land is barren. His wife is barren. And it just doesn't seem to be working. How is it with you? And you start to just get this a little adjustment that maybe God's greatness includes mediocrity. Oh, man, I'm uncomfortable saying it. But maybe God's greatness for us includes mediocrity. Because God knows, and I think this is so true, and I'm going to go back to what I ask you. What, is it, what do you envision when you hear God saying, I'm going to bless you so much that you're going to be a blessing to all nations? What do you really envision? You see, I envision it through white American eyes, and it looks completely different than Abram's story. I mean, there's a disconnect all over the place here for me. 
And maybe I'm starting to realize by God's grace that these, this greatness is that God's blessings aren't supposed to be hoarded. They're supposed to be poured out of us. And maybe through life, maybe, God's going to punch holes into our lives so that when He pours in the blessings, they're going to be pouring out of our lives and showering others. Maybe God blessed Abram with poverty and famine. So he really knew what it was like to rely on God. You know, Jesus says, blessed are the poor. I mean, Jesus identifies himself with the poor. He says, what you've done to the least of these. I mean, maybe the blessings of God include poverty. Include famine. And maybe even the blessings of poverty of health. I mean, cancer seems to really be wreaking havoc here in our family. But I tell you, for those who have had cancer or have cancer, there's a fraternity. They look at each other and they're members. There's no secret handshake. They just know that they have survived or are battling or have lost a loved one to the C word, cancer. I got two really good friends who have lost a spouse to cancer. And when they're together, when I'm with them, maybe we're playing golf. I mean, there, there's an unspoken bond between them. And maybe, maybe God's going to get us in a place where we got to know what poverty is all about so we can relate. So we really can know when we see someone broken and hurting so that we really can understand their plight and understand our calling to to respond. Maybe God blesses us with the impossible. (laughs) Go ahead, take your barren wife Sarah out for a stroll one night and go ahead and look up at the stars. Because out of her is going to come kings. And out of her is going to come a great nation. And eventually, if we see this seed all the way through, out of her is going to come the king of kings and the lord of lords. And maybe God blesses us with the impossible so that we know that we can't do it. We can't fix it. We can't repair it. Only God can. And then we rely on him. And maybe God blesses us with the impossible so we stop thinking that we are the blessing. And we're just the carriers of the blessing. And our life is just to carry in our brokenness, in our holes, in our mediocrity, the blessings of Christ. And maybe God blesses us with trouble so that we can long for more than that this world could ever offer us. And we realize that again, this trouble makes us rely on God. God. And this God is going to keep on poking holes in us so that we keep showering others around us. Maybe God is going to bless us with pain so we really know what is good for us. 
I'm reading Tony Dungy's book, Almost Finished, a great book called The Quiet Strength. And in the book, uh, he and his wife adopt a son named Jordan. And early on, they realized that Jordan had a disability. He didn't have the ability to feel pain. You know, think about that for a minute. Not having the ability to feel pain. My first reaction would be, yes. Can you imagine not being able to feel pain? But they soon realized how harmful it was to a toddler not being able to feel pain. That opening up the oven, reaching in for the cookies is not good. And burning yourself and burning your mouth and your hands and running into the wall and knocking yourself silly but jumping up with a big smile. Pain is a gift from God. And it shows us what we're to lean into and what we are to respond to. And maybe God gives us the gift of pain so that we run into His nail-pierced hands. And He keeps on reminding us of what is really good for us and what is really healthy and what really is harmful. Even so, Abram wondered how in the world could God's blessings really come to fruition in his current circumstance. Is it that way with you? And this really bizarre story of taking these animals and slicing them all up. You know what God is doing there? It's incredible. This is what God is doing. God is swearing by his own name. He's swearing that he will do this. He's making an oath. Self-malediction oath. God is entering into basically saying, I'm going to cut a deal. And if I don't come through, I'm going to harm myself. I'm going to cut myself in two. This represents what I will do if I do not bless you. Abram. See, Abram did not pass through those pieces. God did. And God said, you sit there, Abram. I'm going to put you in a deep sleep. And I'm going to show you what I'm going to do. I swear I'm going to bless you. And if I don't, I will cut myself in two. And then we see the reality that God does just that on the cross. God tears himself apart on the cross of Christ so that he too could be by being torn can pour out blessings to us. And the reality of Christ and the reality of the cross and the reality of a God who would take such an oath for us. He secures for us these blessings through his life, his death, and his resurrection. And now he says, I'm going to break you into pieces as I pour these blessings into you so they can be poured out to others. You know, if you look at this story, it's an incredible story. You get to chapter 16 and man is going to take matters in his own hands. Sarah is going to try to help God earn blessings. She's going to say, you know what, I can't have kids, so let's, let's try my maidservant, Hagar. She looks like she can have kids. Here you go. Abram, come over here. Sleep with her. God might bless us this way. And listen, anytime man tries to accomplish God's will on his own, it always leads to pain and sorrow. Trying to help God. And maybe none of us can sit here and say, that story's so far away, I I can't relate to this. Well, here's how it might relate to you. Maybe there's a voice in your head that says, you know what, God wants me to be really happy. And I'm not finding it with my current spouse. So I think God wants me happy so I can have an affair. 
God wants me happy and I'm lonely living by myself. A single person may say, I I need to move in with my boyfriend or girlfriend. God wants me happy and I'm not able to make it financially right now. So maybe if I just cheat a little on my taxes or if I fudge a little bit on my expense report or if I make my timesheets a little different or if I cheat on my homework, therefore God wants me to be happy, I'll do it in my own way. See, I do this all the time. I want the church to be whole and I want us to be a blessing and I want my life to be a whole and I want to have all the blessing and he keeps poking holes in it. And it hurts. But I remember as he pokes holes in me and he pokes holes in us, we pour out to others. You see, what's our response? Our response to this is we need to circumcise our hearts. We've got to make sure that we give our hearts to Jesus and place them in those kneel-pierced hands and realize that's the safest place for our hearts to be. Have you ever had a circumcised heart given to God? Today, God's call for all of us is that we are to cut away the sin in our lives and embrace Christ as, G- as Savior. Have you done that? And if not, today, run to Him and say, I confess I'm broken, but forgive me so I could be made whole. And for those of us, by God's grace, that have done that, we got to start seeing blessings rightly and living our lives now with this one pure and holy passion, following hard after God who will love us enough to break us so that these blessings can pour out of us to others. Look to Jesus. That's what he did with his own son so that all of us can have life and life abundantly. Let us pray. Father, we thank you for the incredible blessings that you've poured into our lives. God, oftentimes we look at your promises and the reality of our lives, and they seem worlds apart. But God, we thank you as we look to the cross of Christ, we realize that you have blessed us so much so that we could be a blessing to others. And you do that by giving us the brokenness we need. Thank you for this gift, Father God. God, I pray for anyone this morning who is yet to embrace Christ as Savior. May today, may this moment, in the quietness of their heart, may they confess their sin and their need for a Savior and embrace Christ Jesus as Savior. For those of us who are already a part of your family, Father, may we now live with one pure and holy passion to live and to follow hard after you. It's in Christ's name we pray. Amen. Let's please stand and sing.